The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. For Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. Uh, we've got a special guest with us, and uh, I'm excited to have him on this morning. I'm going to talk to one of our friends over in the UK, and uh, over there, they're discovering the same thing that we've been telling you here at Sons of Liberty, and uh, they're facing some consequences for that, and so we, we're going to bring our guest on in just a moment to tell you about that. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to see the faces made for radio, yeah, I got a bump on my nose too you can see <laughs> go to sons of liberty media.com uh 51 years old and still have those occasionally 51 years old uh you can go check that out at sons of liberty media.com scroll down we're right there on the right you can also watch the live video feed on my twitter account fpp tim fpp tim on twitter my periscope account is also carrying that setting brush fires facebook is bradley dean sol youtube channel b dean sons of liberty we're on BeforeIt'sNews.com right there on the front page. Uh, and then finally, DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. And then if you're branching out on other social media outlets, please go to Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.Life and look us up there at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. And we would appreciate it uh, very, very much. Now, uh, for those of you who were uh, in the chat on the video platforms, you were seeing my guest a little bit as I was setting things up. Um, he got in right as I was fixing to start the stream there. And so you, you've got a sneak peek at our guest this morning and, uh, his name is Dr. Muhammad Adil. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he is a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of the UK. Uh, let me move something else out of the way here and see if we can get that going so that, uh, He'll be able to, to come up and join us here in just a moment. And he is not only a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of UK, but he's a consultant general. Um, boy, some of these things, I don't even know what they are, uh, Dr. Dill, so you're going to have to sort of explain that to me. Uh, colorectal, uh, laparoscopic, and breast cancer surgeon. These are things that I'm unfamiliar with. But he has been suspended for a period of 12 months by the GMC, which is the General Medical Council in the UK, uh, beginning on June the 1st of this year, due to speaking out on his point of view of the COVID-19 on social media. 
Uh, he simply expressed his professional view- viewpoint on the COVID-19 and its far-reaching restrictions on the public lives, economy, social, and family, mental health issues, and educational impacts on students across the world, contrary to the mainstream's narrative. Now, uh, Dr. Adil, I I hit the uh, ask to unmute there, so you should have that somewhere on your screen, uh, maybe in the bottom left-hand portion of your screen there, and I want to welcome you to the Sons of Liberty. Do you see that there? Okay, I still can't hear you. You got to unmute it. All right. There we go. There we go. Good morning, Dr. Adil. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. um, Talk to the public in the United States and across the world. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have you. Glad that you joined us this morning. By the way, if people want to call in, maybe you have a question for Dr. Adil. Or if you've got one in the chat you want to put up here, you can do that as well. The number is 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255. All right, doctor. So how about you How about you do this for me? Um, <clears throat> tell me those things that I barely could pronounce there before breast cancer surgeon. Uh, what, are, what are the things that you're involved in as a doctor? Uh, thanks very much for asking me, Tim. I am Dr. Muhammad Iqbal Adil, as you kindly said that I... I uh, graduated from National Medical College, Multan, Pakistan, in 1986, and traveled to United Kingdom for uh, further qualification and experience and uh, and uh, and the skills, which I successfully achieved while working in Ireland and the UK. In 1996, I got fellowship from Royal College of Surgeons of UK and fellowship from Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland, and I've been working as a consultant general surgeon. With special interest in uh, colorectal, which is a gastrointestinal surgery uh, that involves uh, benign and uh, malignant diseases of the bowel uh, problem, like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and bowel cancers, and all the other stuff, which which actually is 60-65% of the a general surgical procedure which we carry out uh, during uh, elective and emergency procedures. And I also do a lot of laparoscopic surgery, which is a keyhole surgery for uh, minimal access and endoscopic surgery. I'm also a breast surgeon. I, I have a fair amount of experience while working in, in a breast uh, unit throughout my current 30 years in UK and Ireland. So I I am a consultant since over 20 years in this part of the world. And uh, in between, I went to Pakistan where I worked as an assistant professor first. And then I was promoted as an associate professor of surgery there. And then uh, there are only three to four years I worked in Pakistan uh, throughout my 30 years career in this country and came back to the UK. So uh, this is my brief introduction. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you explaining that to me. I, that's a lot of stuff that you have to keep up with. Usually... Uh, a doctor is more inclined to surgeon usually is is pretty specific they they don't have two or three areas at least over here that's not the case they usually are bound to one thing so that's you've got a lot of knowledge in a, a lot of different areas that you you do surgery um but what's what's really got you sort of in the news if it will is your view on this coronavirus covid and i'm just going to do this to kind of mess with the people at youtube h o a x uh, <laughs> and how that's been how that's been played out to the people, and it's not like uh, all of a sudden one day you woke up and said, "Hey, 
I just want to give people disinformation. No, you you took and you went through scientific papers, just like our health and wellness expert, Kate Shimrani, did. And just like other doctors, we've had Dr. Andrew Kaufman. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's come on and come to a lot of the same conclusions that you have. And so can you lead us in a little bit as to first give us exactly what happened? I kind of re, I kind of said that at the first, what happened to you. But tell tell us what happened and then tell us how did you come to the conclusion that brought you to speak out and give the truth to people uh, that resulted in the actions taken against you? Thank you very much for asking. It's a very important question, Tim, uh, you asked me. First of all, I would like to, to uh, briefly uh, introduce my uh, contribution towards medical sciences in this country. I, as I earlier said, I came here 30 years ago and I have successfully managed to have my full training in this country in Ireland. And I worked at the senior level uh, as an associate professor and assistant professor back home where I went. I was very welcome. I came back. I, in fact, went for teaching and training in that part of the world, which I successfully did for three to four years and then returned. So in this country, I, I in fact, contributed a lot toward uh, medical sciences to advance uh, uh, the uh, surgical uh, expertise and laparoscopic work and teaching and training. And I chaired three international medical conferences, sorry, uh, organizations, uh, which is a global Nestarian organization having more than 10,000 members in it. And this is established since 2011 based in the UK. And we have got members uh, all over the world with four uh, chapters in it. This is the actually the uh, organization belonging to my original medical college where I graduated from Pakistan. And, and then we have we established uh, all Pakistan Medical Association in UK, and uh, recently we established uh, World Doctors Alliance. So with all these uh, platform, we have been contributing a lot of uh, educational stuff, promoting medical education and teaching and training, and uh, and uh, charity and human relief. So purely on our self-funded basis. So that's why it has been attracted by a lot of medical graduates and professionals across the world. And we have a good number of people who are supporters of the three organizations. And we successfully conducted two international scientific conferences in uh, uh, in uh, Manchester uh, last year, in uh, June 2019, and then second one in September 2019, where a lot of international uh, delegates that traveled, and we had more than four to 500 it turned up from different parts of the world. It's very successful events we had to promote medical education and to, to express the, uh, the knowledge and share papers and research work and publication and the different skills and experience, in fact, sharing knowledge. A lot of people came from the United States, from uh, Far East, Middle East, uh, India, Pakistan, and they participated from local uh, UK, uh, different uh, trusts. So uh, last year, we traveled to Pakistan, we invited uh, as a guest speaker uh, in Pakistan from eight different medical universities and uh, medical colleges uh, for uh, giving a talk and deliver a lecture, which I we successfully conducted on these platforms. And uh, I was awarded as an international speaker uh, from four different medical universities and four different medical colleges. Now, coming back to this question which you have asked, what prompted me to to speak up about this um, uh, uh, pandemic, which we, we have been actually uh, watching very closely since end of December uh, 2019. 
the, how the virus was identified, how the patient who, who developed a chest infection, pneumonia, and flu-like symptom, they were diagnosed having a, a similar symptom, and they were they were uh, investigated, and the, the Chinese they they found that there was a some genetic material they identified that was a cause of the uh, similar problem. They ended up into lockdown and how, what's the origin of this virus? I don't want to go into that conspiracy theory, but there are various theories at this stage, which which obviously the world knows and, and still a lot of shadows, a lot of questions need to be, to be answered about that. So in fact, the lockdown started in many countries earlier than the United, than the lockdown they implemented in the United uh, Kingdom. So, in fact, in, uh, we closely watched all the the events happening for being a, a senior member of the of the health system in Pakistan and having a great contributor towards medical sciences and teaching, training, and research work and publication. I I felt my uh, humble duty to critically question the far-reaching effects uh, on public by the, the virus. And comparing with the virulency of the virus, and wanted to to uh, to actually collect the data, which I collected the data from the coronavirus, and then wanted to compare that with the uh, similar sort of uh, uh, flu viruses in the past, and then wanted to keep all the things into perspective to come to the the conclusion. And we closely watched that when the lockdown was carried out on 23rd of March in um, in the United Kingdom. At that that time, actually, everything got uh, shut down. Uh, the the uh, scientific advisory uh, group of emergency uh, services in the United Kingdom, uh, the chief scientist uh, Neil Ferguson, he and his team, they, they advised. Uh, UK government that uh, 8 million people would be admitted into UK hospitals uh, due to coronavirus infection and uh, at least 500,000 people would die due to coronavirus. As a result of uh, this information, the total lockdown was implemented in uh, in the in all the trusts. Uh, over 1,000 1, trusts were uh, totally shut down and special instructions were uh, issued to the trusts. I was part of one of the teaching at Tushy, uh, hospital and tertiary unit uh, where we, we, we were uh, dealing with all these uh, COVID-19 patients, which, uh, which were actually made as a center for, for catching uh, uh, all the patients related with the COVID-19. But in fact, after the lockdown, we noticed uh, that there were a lot of uh, detrimental effect on the the public uh, and, and and the patient who were waiting for their uh, investigation and treatment. The figures in January uh, 2020 by the NHS is that there were 2.7 million people they were waiting for their investigation and treatment uh, for various diseases, including cancers. And out of that, 870,000 uh, patients were at 18 weeks wait rule. So that actually uh, shut down the door for the patients coming to the hospital. All the, the elective uh, investigations and treatment for benign and malignant diseases were seized off. All the clinics, they were seized off. And uh, there was a special precaution to be taken for all the patients admitted into the hospital. And uh, there were there are more than 125,000 beds uh, all across the uh, UK in more than 1,000 trusts and hospitals, 
all were uh, issued a special instruction that they should uh, close down, they should advocate the bed for those expected patients while the COVID-19 coming into the hospital. Actually, we witnessed that that was not a flood of patient coming into the hospital. About 60 to 70 percent hospital beds would have been lying empty. So we we didn't see the flood of patient uh, coming and rushing into the various trusts in and uh, 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 of the NHS in United Kingdom. So that actually uh, uh, prompted me to to look into that even more deeply to say the, how the the people are suffering, the patients who are waiting for their cancer treatment. Right. For the surgery for operation and all have been seized off. Let me let me let me interject something here. I got to <clears throat> change up my stuff here uh, so that we've got you on uh, here. Uh, let me ask a question about that because uh, we've got a nurse who writes for us, and she writes under the name Suzanne Hamner, and she put out something this week because you mentioned the the thing out of China said, oh, this is you know genetic material. Well, nothing's really identified by genetic material, any microorganism is what she was talking about. She said this comes with Cox postulates, this comes with uh, river postulates, that they don't do that. This was something that I think Dr. Andrew Kaufman had pointed out that he was noticing. So how does somebody actually identify that somebody has, quote-unquote, COVID-19? How does somebody identify that if what Dr. Kaufman was saying was in the uh, in the, in the paper that they had, that they actually just took some lung tissue out. They, they didn't separate out anything. And so how does, is it just based off a symptom or is there something else where these people are doing it? Because we know they're padding the numbers on COVID deaths. I mean, we had a guy just the other week die from a motorcycle wreck in uh, Florida and they go, oh, COVID-19. We put it on. So if this thing is it was really legitimate and Dr. Kaufman said he's seen no evidence that there's any new disease, if it's legitimate, how you as a doctor... When somebody, how would you even identify them as a COVID patient? Nobody has actually identified the uh, coronavirus uh, SARS two virus, which uh, the, the, the various uh, health authorities are trying to uh, to implicate. But I agree with the Dr. Andrew Kaufman that he said that none of the uh, reverse criteria and the Cox. Uh, postulates has been uh, uh, taken an account for any microorganism which should have the basic principle for identifying an organism to label as a cause of the, the disease. Uh, in 1984, uh, Robert Cox uh, said that there should be four criteria to fulfill for any microorganism to identify that it should be common in the society. Number two, it should, it should be isolated uh, from uh, the patient and and should be uh, cultured into the culture media, and uh, thirdly, the that same organism could be then taken from the culture media and and uh, injected into a host that should produce the same symptoms that uh, the the first patient would have, and then that that organism can be uh, uh, transmitted into uh, into another individual to have the common symptom across. The society and then River modified that criteria actually in 1937 and he said he added two into it. He said that instead of culture media, we can uh, use the host cell, which is absolutely sensible thing to do. And then he also said that the, as a response of 
as a response of the microorganism, there should be in production of the antibodies. But at the moment, we have got sufficient evidence to say that there's not much antibodies produced into the into the host so far. And if it, it, it does produce in some individuals, and the most of them, they don't have the antibiotics. Whether this is a natural phenomenon or not, which is absolutely questionable, and there has been various studies. Uh, there is a recent study from uh, a Norwegian uh, scientist and the, the UK and from Cambridge, and they said the three important things. They said that doesn't uh, look like the right thing we are dealing with. Number one, the the, the microorganism which is causing infection to the individual and uh, should have the mutation before going from the animal to the uh, the human being. So as it said that this is this is sort of a, a, a media animal and before it goes to infect the human being. But the scientists have come to, to this conclusion that there is no mutation seen in this particular virus before infecting the human uh, uh, human body. And so number two, uh, there should be a, a special sequence of the trans transcription, uh, a transmission, uh, as the, the virus adheres to the uh, glycoprotein of the host cell, but that that uh, transmission sequence has not been uh, uh, not, doesn't seem to be natural. And thirdly, there should be a production of the antibodies against the microorganism, as in case of uh, MERS and the SARS-1 virus in 2003 and 2013. But that actually has not been seen. That's why there are a lot of eyebrows uh, are are raised by various. The scientists across the world that this is what we're dealing with is it the right thing to do or we have to think something else going on okay yeah <clears throat> i've got some people in the chat room uh wanting to ask if you have uh and i hate to interrupt here but if i don't ask i'm probably going to forget uh they wanted to ask if you saw david ike's latest broadcast on london real this past sunday because he's been talking about this as well and uh, they wanted to see if you had comments. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but I'm, I'm going to ask. Yeah, I, I have. I have not this Sunday, but I have a fair bit of idea what he what he thinks about this, this uh, uh, COVID nineteen thing. That it's neither been identified, not been isolated. It's not neither been filtered, uh, or not been re-isolated or refiltered, and the uh, culture. So the so these are the, the facts which need to be uh, brought into the uh, the public and to the scientists who are questioning about this. And in UK, we have submitted an, a, a letter uh, signed by thousands of, of people across the world that we need to have the validity of the identification of this virus before uh, confirming that we are treating the right disease. And uh, they have promised. Uh, from the Prime Minister's Secretary that they will be able to answer that on 2nd of September, which we are waiting for. If that is, it turns out to be true, then we have to look into that. If it turns out to be an evidence, of, of course we need to know. Uh, if it doesn't, then we need to look into other treatment options. Okay, all right. Yeah, so so let's get to let's get to this thing. You're, you're, you're talking about uh, the fact that uh, this stuff wasn't separated out. I was asking you how you identify somebody who has COVID. How do you label them that as a doctor, as a nurse, um, and these kinds of things? 
what what led you to speak out? Because there's a video, and folks, I'm going to put the video as well as you've sent me some information too. I didn't know if you wanted to go over any of that. Uh, so about thirty something images and some text and stuff. So if we don't get to that, I'm going to put it up in the archive so people can go through the information that you've given there, so they can do their own homework. I, you know. This is the thing that's amazing to me in the, in America is we've got Facebook, we've got YouTube, we've got uh, all these platforms that think they're they can move out from under the protections of a platform and start censoring people based on their professional opinion, like yours, a scientific opinion, or Kate's, um, or Dr. Kaufman, or whoever it is. If they're not going along with the narrative of the paid off World Health Organization, then they get targeted. So you have some of these things. So let's say I come in. And I uh, present to you certain symptoms, I guess. How is it that you or a nurse or somebody seeing me would say, oh, you have COVID, we have to isolate you, we have to quarantine you, yada, yada, yada. And I've, I've told people on the show, you know, the Bible gives us a quarantine method. It's in Leviticus 13. And that is you don't isolate healthy people, you isolate sick people. And so if somebody just has symptoms or if they even just test positive, that doesn't necessarily mean they're full blown. For instance, in Leviticus 13, it goes through several processes and you check it, you check on it. You don't automatically quarantine somebody just because they might have one symptom. How do you guys do that when somebody comes to you and says, I'm having this go on, I'm having that go on? How do you identify that they have this COVID thing? Are you always questioning it? Thank you for asking me uh, this uh, important question, Kim. Uh, actually, the symptoms are uh, very much uh, common, like flu, any flu, uh, pneumonia, and chest infection, like having a, a fever, dry cough, and and uh, uh, runny, sometimes runny nose. Uh, that these are the, the symptoms which could be in any any uh, disease, especially in the chest infection and flu-like symptoms. So here, the patient comes, we. Uh, we investigate with the uh, chest X-ray. We do blood tests. We and then we do the, uh, the special test for uh, that, which is a PCR RT-PCR test, which was uh, designed by Carrie Mullis, who was the biochemist from the United States, died in November 2019, and he said that this test should not be used as a reference for any viral infection because he he totally. Uh, he, he gave his, uh, his uh, uh, you know, advice, but unfortunately, this test has been used to, uh, to identify the COVID-19, which we are checking, the body is checking the genetic material and the sequence in the, in the genetic material actually is not similar to the SARS-1 virus, which was in 2003. And uh, there, is a, there is a 60 to 80% false positive test results which is uh, in a normal individual, they have no symptom whatsoever. Sometimes, so that's why the the uh, the efficacy of the sensitivity of this test is questionable. So it is sixty to eighty percent positive. Doesn't mean that. And I want to clarify this this important point to the public that if somebody is test positive, it doesn't mean that he's he's infected with the uh, COVID nineteen. That's a very important point. I need to try to uh, spread this message across the world. Many people don't know that a test positive doesn't mean that they, they are the uh, infected. They are infected with the COVID-19, so they may not have symptom at all whatsoever. I may not progress to anything at all. Very very mild symptom. It may end them into 
having a flu-like symptom and fever and dry cough. So even this test, which is a which is not a test as uh, Carrie Muller said, who designed this test, that it it is having a 50, 40 to 50% a test negative. So it doesn't mean that somebody test positive is having the infection and test, test negative is excluded from uh, the infection. But so having done that, then we categorize these, these uh, patients into three different stages. The patient with having mild symptom, we, we, we advise them over the phone, they stay at home, if they, they, are, uh, they take some uh, symptomatic medication like paracetamol or, or something, rest, and then uh, they should be all right. And the majority of them, they, they don't ring us again. Then there is a moderate patient with a moderate symptom, like a persistent cough, fever, persistent uh, fever and all that. Then these patients, we, we advise to self-isolate for two weeks. And if symptoms get worse, then they contact 111 or 999 or contact the GP and then for their own. The third grade, the third stage is when the patients are really sick and they are having severe chest infection and they are dropping their saturation. They can't breathe and they, they have persistent cough and they have got a runny uh, nose and temperature. That These are the patients who need to be investigated in the hospital with the blood tests and with the, the uh, RT-PCR test. And then we, uh, with, as with, per guideline, we isolate these patients, a special ward designed for the COVID-19 as uh, per guideline by the health authorities here in the UK. And then we uh, carry out the CT scan of the chest and, uh, and uh, to find out what's going on on top of the uh, chest X-ray. Okay. And then depending so- on how patients are going to end up, so only four to five percent they end up into intensive care unit. To uh, so the rest are usually get uh, well and they are discharged. Okay, so so basically, uh, you're you're saying the test that they give you is it, it wasn't meant for that anyway. I think um, again, this is uh, from our friend uh, Joni here. She said it was. Uh, I've lost the comment, but she was saying it was from uh, many. What did you say, Joni? <laughs> she said it was something about it was man, it was for manufacturing or something. Oh, okay, it was the P, the RT PCR test is designed for quote unquote manufacturing, not diagnostic purposes. I think that's what you're that's what you're telling people so that they understand here. And um, then we have another we have another question. Uh, somebody heard you say um, that this can this can be recultured and. Uh, the Greg says this means our local hospitals cannot reproduce this infection, therefore they are unable to identify it. Correct? Yes, you know that these are the guidelines that they are following. Actually, this is this is highly questionable. And WHO also said that the patients who are coming with these symptoms, they don't need to have the virus isolated from the the sputum or from the lung fluid. How is it possible? That without identifying a virus, which they have not been able to identify. There's not a single scientist who can confirm that they have seen or identified this virus. So WHO, uh, there's a couple of papers which we have we have gone through, and they said that it is not necessary to have a virus identified into, into the uh, fluid of the, the patient having all these symptoms. So this, on, this is not an evidence-based. We need to have an evidence-based. That's what will be based on our research work and uh, uh, innovation in medicine. That we don't have that. Uh, so, uh, so, so let me let me go a little step further here. Let me go a little step further. 
Dr. Kaufman said, this is not a virus, it is an exosome. Now, when I heard that, uh, which was months ago when he brought this up, I already knew something about it from Kate being on the show. She's on every week. And uh, I already knew something about that, but he went on to describe that. And then he went on to talk about the tests that were done with the Spanish flu and how they tried to make the people sick. And there were hundreds of tests that were done by just putting you know, whatever bad stuff was in one person who was sick in a healthy person and the healthy, none of the healthy people, not even a small percentage got sick as a result of that. Now you've brought up the issue of exosomes too. And I'm curious, it, how, one, how did you come to that conclusion? Because Dr. Kaufman explained to me, Hey, we're indoctrinated. When we go into the, uh, to, to school for doctor, we're given so much information. There isn't time for debate. You don't get to ask questions. You cram the information in. You regurgitate it on your test. Then you go out to your practice and you find out, wait a minute. Some of the stuff I'm told isn't exactly correct or it's not working or whatever the case may be. And you start looking at naturopath kind of stuff to deal with some things. And you find out, okay, this begins to actually have an effect, a good effect on the body. And so for you, how did, the, how did you come to this understanding that, that exosomes are really what's playing a part in this? And then I'd like for you, if you can, comment on maybe what your opinion is that's bringing this on. Is it something that's just natural? Is it uh, like the flu season where you know people have eaten really bad stuff, they've been cooped up all winter, and then they, they come into the flu season? Or is it something else that's going on? Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, the exosomes uh, are the the uh, organelles of the cells. Actually, they are present in the cytoplasm, and they are the uh, protective. Uh, uh, they provide the protective mechanism for the cells, and also in the apoptosis, which is a destruction of the cell when the cells are not good enough, so they destroy the cells. So what happens is the exosomes are actually the the protector in the sense that when there is a, a, a microorganism invading into the cell. The cell membrane into the cytoplasm, the exosomes actually they they envelop this microorganism and then they, they destroy it and expel it outside the cell. So these are exactly similar to what they the picture has been shown by the CDC over the uh, mainstream media that this is a virus which looks like exactly similar to the exosome. So that's these are the exosomes, which are actually a, a, the, the genetic material, which is present in normal as a cytoplasm in, in cell. So they are. This is what they, they when they when they engulf the microorganism, they destroy them outside, and when cell die, they are released into the uh, body fluids, and from the body fluids, especially in the lung fluid, like they are. They are then tested, and also not only in the in the in the normal chest infection and the pneumonia. Uh, are the flu, these uh, exosomes will be present, but also in various chronic diseases like in a chest, chronic chest infection, COPD, and lung cancer, these these lysosomes are active, and they and also lung cancer, of course. So that is a confusing picture, you know. What, when, when the pathologists are checking the, the sputum under the microscope, the lung fluid, they are looking at uh, this genetic material, and now they are saying that this is an RNA genetic material which is similar to the SARS-1 uh, virus uh, in uh, 80% to 85%. It, it is just a similarity, but doesn't mean that the similarity is the confirmation of this, this uh, 
virus which has been detected, which is, is not the case actually. So this is the, the license of the picture is exact, exactly the similar way as it appears on the, uh, which been being shown on the mainstream media. Okay. All right. So look, we've got some people who have said, and we've even had a couple of studies that were done that wanted to link 5G technology with some of the outbreak of um, the coronavirus. And some were saying this is poisoning the cells, which results in the exosomes coming out and cleaning up the toxins there and this kind of thing. And I'm curious, have you seen anything on that? Wuhan was where they rolled out 5G. And um, then from my understanding, they were having some mandatory vaccines, which I've seen no evidence that a vaccine actually prevents anything because isn't that Maybe I'm off here, but isn't that an assumption that if you give somebody a vaccine and they don't get it, then, oh, well, it works. Or maybe they're just not prone to it. Um, Those kind of things that come out as well. I see you laughing. So you probably have the same kind of thought. Um, What is the uh, what's what's your opinion as far as as what's bringing this on? Uh, Because to me, when I see the numbers, they can keep saying, oh, we're, I think the news was yesterday, oh, we have 47,000 more corona tests. It's though, it's almost like they're saying 47,000 people got sick and you just got through saying they can be tested for this. The tests are, you know, 80% false positives and all of this, but all of a sudden everybody should fear and they, then they should start wearing this, this stupid mask, um, uh, you know, it's it's absolutely ridiculous to me. What what is your opinion about what's bringing this on, or is this, or is a lot of it, for lack of a better term, is it a lot of it psychological? I mean, are, I know there's some real there's some people who actually get sick, but is a lot of this just psychological? Thank you for asking this question. You have asked several questions related to five G technology and the vaccination, the face mask. And, um, uh, and the immunity within the body. So I start from the 5G, which obviously has uh, been uh, rolled out in in China, especially in, in the city of Wuhan, which is a center for the modern technology and the nuclear uh, uh, ammunition there, and also a lot of uh, industrial uh, industries there, which produce a lot of chemicals and toxins and smoke uh, within the environment, and which could be detrimental, detrimental effect on the public. It has been a, 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 a matter of interest for the, the entire world during July 2019 and prior to that in 2016, 17, and 18, that there has been a lot of combustion from the, the incinerator in, in uh, Wuhan city, and people came out of the road talking against uh, the uh, Poisoning uh, into the, the space, which was toxic uh, to the, the public. So, at, in November 2019, when they uh, just before uh, six weeks before, they they actually rolled out the 5G technology, which uh, uh, to advance their the uh, telecommunication methods. So that actually is a 5G is obviously a very fast signal, which can which can uh, generate 60 to 80 uh, hazards of the radiation into the body cells can cause lysis of the cells, 
and cause mutation into the nu- at the nuclear level, and that can mutate the, the genetic material and DNA and, and can result into a different thing, which can also cause serious impact on uh, the respiratory and cardiac and neurological uh, system. So, so Dr. Dill, been... Dr. Dill, let me let me ask you something on that. So would you say that some of the symptoms we're told from COVID-19 can be produced by 5G technology? Because after all, the same people that are telling us to take this test that, that you said, hey, this isn't reliable. The person who came up with it says, don't use this on this. The, the same people that say this is reliable for defining who has COVID-19, you're, you're telling me that the same people who, who said that also said, uh, oh, this kind of radioactivity is, or what is it, um, magnetic, uh, what are they, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Yeah, that electromagnetivity, (laughs) all that stuff is supposed to be safe for us. But you're saying it can it produce these actual symptoms of what they're saying COVID-19 is? It it does not produce the COVID-19. That's why I want to clarify. Certainly not the generator of the COVID-19, neither produces COVID-19. It can cause damage to the cell at the nuclear level and at the cell level and could lead to an inflammatory response at the, uh, in, the, in the body. And at the nucleus uh, level, it can damage to the GNA and mutate, mutate the genetic material and cause serious problems, including the chest infection, including the uh, uh, other neurological symptoms. But they will need to have a lot of studies still. There is no paper so far which... Uh, had peer review to, to suggest that this is uh, uh, vital not to have 5G technology at the moment. So this is uh, under uh, debate at the moment. Okay. But certainly some, some evidence, I would say, that there was a, a during March, April time, there was a Prince of Diana cruise. There were four, 500. They, they used the, the 5G technology first time. There were four, 500. Uh, you know, holiday makers, they, they, they developed the test positive for the uh, COVID-19. So, the test positive genetic material again, but doesn't mean that this is a, a, a positive for the coronavirus. So, it was a positive for the RT-PCR test, which is a, being used as a, as a, a test, the t- test kit for COVID-19. Okay, so let me let's let's uh, let's ask let's ask something else here. You're you're suspended because you're speaking out about these things, and you can point to documentation over it. You're you're involved in treating people, and you've seen this in in the hospital that you worked at, and you've looked at the scientific papers. You've come to your own conclusion. You've said, "Hey, there's a problem here," and you spoke out about it. And what was the response from the NHS over there? I mean, what happened? The NHS, actually, they, they are following all the instructions which are sent to them by the government. They, they, they depend on the government policy. They can't work independently. So is the regulatory parties. They all are under the, the uh, contract with the WHO and all the guidelines provided to the government, followed by the, the instruction provided. Uh, to the national, uh, national health authorities and the regulatory bodies, so they will be act what they have been told, and that's what is happening. So uh, 
they are following their guidelines and they are they have uh, provided all these guidelines to work by all the NH uh, by the health professionals and unfortunately there has not been any single uh, international or national scientific round table discussion with the world renowned or experienced uh, uh, epidemiologist or uh, infectious control uh, senior advisors a physician a surgeon to discuss about what exactly is going on i would i i strongly recommend that if such kind of meeting would be very helpful around the table to discuss what is how the world is going and where we're going we're treating only covid 19 nothing else all the patients who have been waiting for the treatment for the investigation they had been they have been barred like the figures was 2.7 million in january 2020 in uk for the nhs uh, uh, patient who are waiting to have their investigation treatment including their cancer investigation of treatment and since the lockdown appeared the, everything was seized off and now the figure is 5.5 million that's the nhs data uh, which is telling that 5.5 millions are now waiting for the investigation and treatment including uh, uh, the patient who has been waiting for their cancer treatment after after the operation like chemotherapy radiotherapy and the and the other things which have been seized off so far so it will require 5 years according to the the national health services guideline to clear the lot so which is which is again very much uh, uh, worrying for the patient how they they are going to get their treatment and soon the, the lockdown came all the patient in the hospital they were beds were vacated so patients were transferred from uh, either from they were discharged who were were fairly okay to be discharged they were discharged and a lot of elderly patients who were in the hospital but were vacated and they were transferred to the nursing home and because of the lack of the medical facility in the nursing home and uh, they the elderly community they they, they uh, died with two third of the the elderly patient uh, admitted in the nursing home and and they, they care home they, they passed away because of the isolation because of depression because of the fear and the lack of the uh, health facilities so this kind this this created a huge problem it could have been nice to have a sort of a treatment uh, going over all the patients side by side which we should uh, we we should have looked into that that what is the best possible option we, we understand this is a national emergency declared by UK government and the rest of the world we appreciate that we work that we followed the guideline we, we established the uh, we we carried out the emergency operation with all the protocols and ppe and everything uh, we follow that but on the other side the the elective operations and elective admissions and investigations and treatment have all been seized off which is causing serious problem at the moment and we are we're suffering uh, with that and the patients they 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 they're waiting for the treatment actually and i don't know how the nhs is going to cater with that okay all right now we've got a question in the chat um and again uh this is from greg just so you understand greg if you joined a little late uh dr deal is um a surgeon and so he's not like you know just uh, the regular doctor i guess you come in i don't know if you have a practice where uh, more like a family doctor that you do as well but you're obviously knowledgeable about things um, he he says, okay, we've had the frontline doctors here in America say that uh, hydroxychloroquine with zinc, and there was another thing that they were adding in there with it, uh, is is a cure for this, whatever this is. 
this COVID-19. Um, would you agree with that? And if you were in a position, I'm, I'm sure what you tell me, have you had to deal with anybody in this or is this just something you've researched and you come to a conclusion with because of uh, your expertise as a surgeon? Right. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. it was a, a, a the debate going on for the treatment of uh, this particular disease, which obviously the, the scientists and the, all the researchers are after. There was a question about uh, treatment uh, initially for the chest infection and ARDS type, adult respiratory syndrome type of symptom. Now, the, the things change as as per uh, post-mortem reports from Italy and America and rest of the world that actually this is not purely a respiratory problem, but this is much more than that, which causes the, the thromboembolic phenomena and, and, and affects the, uh, the heart, brain and the kidneys and uh, causes the thrombosis and the uh, and the clots which can lead to a heart attack and uh, the stroke and all the other uh, possible symptoms so the research has been ongoing for for treating patient with the different trial the hydroxychloroquine has been used and the the uh, advocates of the hydroxychloroquine has been uh, widely uh, Propagating uh, their uh, information uh, with the evidence, they, they, they said. I appreciate there was a group of doctors in in America uh, a few days ago, and they came out uh, uh, dozens of doctors, and they they brought their evidence. They have been treating the patient with the hydroxychloroquine, which was highly appreciated by the entire world to have a safe uh, exit from this uh, so-called uh, pandemic to to treat patient with a simple medication rather than going through all the difficult bit, including the vaccination, which I'll come uh, to that in a moment. So uh, soon after that, we noticed that there was a there was a directive from the FDA that the chloroquine should not be used for treating the COVID-19. And they were they were uh, they were claiming that this is not a drug to be used for for treating COVID-19 patients. So this is kind of a controversy which has erupted uh, in between, and we're working on that, which is at the right moment. Similarly, in UK, they they, they came with the dexamethasone sort of uh, treatment, and they, the scientists are claiming in Cambridge and Oxford University where they have done the trial, and they said there is a, a, a benefit about 20 to 30 percent of people admitted into intensive care unit with the hydro with the dexamethasone, which obviously is a steroid treatment. And uh, I, I still have a question in my mind that whether this, this uh, steroid treatment is has been used in critical patients anyway. Uh, uh, since a long time, with my 35-year experience in medicine, we this is a loss of resort for those patients who are not responding to, to antibiotics and other treatment. They, end, uh, they are basically we're losing the patient and the, the steroids are, are used in uh, uh, most of part of the world as a last resort for, for curing these patients. So dexamethasone and the spending millions of uh, pounds on for the for this particular medication. I don't know how much is going to be effective. I, I'm not quite sure that whether there is a, a clear efficacy of the dexamethasone to be continued uh, as a treatment or not. So we need more evidence to prove that. Okay. Uh, no, yeah. We, we've, got a, we've got another question here. And... Um... And this is about whether you whether or not this is again this is your opinion uh, whether or not you think this is political. I you know I hear people saying oh this is used by the Democrats for 
you know, to get Trump out of, okay, well, but this is going, this is going on around the world. This is not necessarily political as much as it is. And my, I'm just going to give you my opinion. My opinion is as tyrannical. It's been planned. We've read from the Rockefeller Foundation, the lockstep that they have. Uh, we've had Bill Gates talk about he has invested $10 billion over the past two decades into vaccines with a 20 to 1 return on that. I mean, who wants to turn down that kind of money? And he's out there pushing the propaganda that everybody, the only way to return to normal is to get a vaccine. And you were making mention of that. Now, we're going to run up against the end of the show, Dr. Reveal. Uh, so could you could you hang on after we close out the show on the radio? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, all right, and we'll we'll get to we'll get to that because I'm only give you like uh, two minutes or so to speak to this, and I know it's going to take a little bit more time than that. Do you think this yeah. is really political, or do you think there's an, a, a worldwide agenda uh, okay, to, to push this on? It's a political. Be honest with you, we are scientists. We don't get involved in politics. We not we don't want to sure. uh, uh, politicize things like the the. Uh, I, I, I critically uh, question about uh, the uh, coronavirus and its far-reaching effects, which is obviously affecting the entire world population. But there was no way I was trying to politicize it or playing down the virus if it does exist. But my, my ambition was to, to put a scientific, to contribute my scientific uh, research work and long-standing experience in medicine to come out with the conclusion to, to help out the world. That's what we all work about. I don't believe that it's going to be politicized, and I, I don't agree with that. So coming to the, the vaccine, the vaccine has not been so effective. Like if we go, go back, the vaccine A, we never knew the vaccine, what are the ingredients of the vaccination and what what has been injected. There are a lot of uh, poison substances in the vaccine, with, with like the heavy metals, and they, they've got neomycin, the antibiotic, the, the mercury, the aluminium. So these sort of material, which obviously the dead viruses, which which, which actually once injected into the human body, they cause extraordinary uh, response, a reaction against that microorganism to boost immunity there. So that actually can kill the patient and can result into sort of progressing the antibodies. But anti-production antibodies with, by injecting these substances is not uh, appreciated by the, the scientists because of the lot of side effects which can lead to deaths, paralysis, and also the, the infertility, which we got an evidence that how the vaccination has been ineffective in, uh, in uh, used in different times and different time frame. Like in 1918, when there was a Spanish flu, and it, it killed millions of people across the world, but there was no vaccination. Similarly, it happened with the SARS virus and the HIV and the MERS virus and the uh, H1N1, there has not been effective vaccination. How is it going to be with the SARS-2? Right. Dr. Advil, uh, we got about 20 seconds. Can you tell people, uh, do you got a website or something that people can check you out? They follow you on Twitter or something? You got about, uh, well, you got about 10 seconds now. I'm on, I'm on the Facebook as uh, with uh, my identity, obviously, Dr. Muhammad Iqbal Adil. Okay. And I am also on uh, Twitter and I'm on uh, LinkedIn, and I, I have my website as well, which is uh, by the name of globalnistarians.org. Uh, okay. All right. That's Dr. Advil. If you guys want to join us off of Red State Talk Radio, join us on YouTube, join us on Facebook. We'll see you on the other side. Take I'm more than happy to answer the, all the questions we have that the public has in their mind. All right. Okay. So we're back on the other side here. Uh, we've got the radio audience out and hopefully some of those will join us uh, for this next couple of minutes. I won't keep you very long, but you're getting into the issue of the vaccine. And I think that's the next stage that everybody sees being set up. Now, some people think that this is going to go away in November in the, in the States. 
And that's exciting, actually. You know, people have this impression that there is no other way out. Actually, to be very honest with you, there were two companies which were, which were involved in, in the United States. One is the Moderna, Moderna, Moderna and the other one is the, the AstraZeneca COVID-19. I've got a recent paper which I, I just read before uh, uh, joining you in, in this uh, uh, video conference. That there was a they have withdrawn actually. They said they are now more responsible for producing vaccine because it has got it has got a, a you know the controversy statement across the world, and they they have withdrawn actually. The biggest company that the AstraZeneca has withdrawn from uh, manufacturing the particular vaccine. The, I don't know about the other company, Moderna, but obviously there's a lot of uh, taking. It's it's kind of a or organized uh, agenda for production of the vaccine uh, uh, in, in alliance with the uh, various health authorities. Uh, they are involved in that. They want to push the vaccination agenda. And the vaccination, it's obviously, it's very clear that they are trying to to implement the lockdown and the face masking and the social distancing till the vaccination, everybody has been vaccinated across the, the planet. 7.6 billion people, they want to vaccine and Bill Gates and Fauci and they are pushing and the, all the pharmaceutical companies like UNICEF through WHO, they want to be legalized to to to, to, to extend to, I mean, they, to implement the, the vaccination to everybody. And recently, I, I, I read an article this morning as well, the Bill Gates is trying to issue, he has actually sponsored the digital certificate for everybody to have in, in, in pocket before traveling uh, are going are getting applying for a job or working for the health services they have to have a digital certificate like like we do for a, a, a b c whatever measles mumps rubella these sort of things so he they, that's what they want so this is a lot of financial incentive involved with that which is obviously the pharmaceutical companies and Fauci who has been working in, in uh, for the uh, in the white house and uh, he's a director of the infectious control diseases since, uh, and he made his uh, uh, fortune out of this vaccination agenda. Uh, they tried to promote this vaccination for HIV, which was terribly failed. Uh, in fact, because of the, the trial, of, uh, because of the vaccination, uh, millions of people died across the world. So that they, they, they are trying to promote the vaccination agenda, and uh, they want to see it successful. But as a matter of fact, Vaccination is a prophylactic treatment. It's not a treatment. It's not a treatment. It's a prophylaxis. So one thing I, I, I like to clarify to the world that vaccine is not a treatment. It's not a remedy for taking the lockdown off and it's it's and and to remove the social distancing, coming back to normal life. That's what they are pushing this agenda to. And we are all going through uh, looking into that. And this is what is happening. So they, by no way, the people who are healthier and they they have their normal, uh, you know, health, they have no health problem, they should be vaccinated. And this is this is a serious issue which, which needs to be looked into, that vaccine is not a treatment. And this is, this may not be, be helpful for in, in this situation because this was, as I said earlier, this, that there is no evidence that there is one strain of coronavirus. There is multiple strains of coronavirus, and the vaccination could not be effective for all of them. And Fauci has agreed on that, that we, we can't see the antibody production uh, as a response to, uh, to the vaccination. So that's why it probably it's, it's, it's not the, the right treatment that we're planning for.
could look into this to resume the, the normal livelihood of people. Well, let me let me, let me let me let me let me ask that then, since you're saying it's not a treatment for it, um, and they're pushing it, and we know there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of money to be made in that. Would it be fair to say, look, I'm not a doctor or any of this thing. I don't play one on TV, and I didn't stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. But the issue is, is this. If what you're saying is true, and I believe it is, and I don't believe there's ever been a time where a vaccine has ever been proven to prevent anything. Usually the vaccines are developed right at the end of whatever it is that people are dealing with. Um, It comes on the end of that where it's already dying out anyway, or it's not the, the way it is. So... Could we say, I think I would say pretty straightforward from the information I've been given, not only from you, but from Kate and from Dr. Kaufman and um, gosh, there's been several other doctors. And then from Joni, uh, Joni in our chat room and uh, on the website, the nurse that we have there, it looks to me like it's a snake oil salesman. They say that, that we're selling it by saying, hey, how about eating right? How about quit putting the junk that you put into your bodies in that, that ends up making you sick? How about looking to do that, follow what you know God has said in the Bible that's, that's good for food, eat that stuff because it's good for your body, and then yes. uh, you, you get to an issue, oh, take this vaccine, and you're right, they're pushing an agenda, and that is to make you think taking this vaccine will make it all go away, and it'll be rainbows and unicorns. Am I, is that that far off? Yeah, absolutely. This is that's why it looks like a scam that everybody should have a vaccination. Seven point six billion people they want to vaccine all across the, the planet, which is not the right approach. It's a very it's it's a money making agent. It's a business related with the pharmaceutical company, the UNICEF, and all the the pharmas which are involved in producing uh, these vaccinations because they are not getting much uh, uh, benefit out of the medication, but they are get, they are looking at the vaccination agent which will continue forever for all the generations. And lead to a lot of uh, complication and problem. And the best thing is to to uh, to have a natural natural course of uh, action with the body. Uh, we get get from uh, like heart immunity and uh, you know the, the natural response and antibody production. And and the and the, you know the the they we got evidence that the, the countries which have not done the lockdown they have done better than those countries who have been totally locked down, like Sweden and Norway and Denmark. And uh, Vietnam and North Korea and other countries, they have not put the, the, their people into lockdown. They never seized their economy. They never seized their education. They never stopped uh, transportation. And they have done extremely well. And they have admitted, the UK government has admitted, Mr. Wallace, who is uh, the, uh, uh, the scientist here in the UK, and he has, uh, he has given a statement that we have not done uh, well at all. The, it's not satisfactory to have the, the counting of the COVID-19 properly because they have been doubling or tripling. The count for the COVID-19 and Matt Hancock, has, who is health secretary, and he has run an inquiry for counting the number of COVID patients actually having the COVID positive test and those, and those who are dying because of some other diseases, like somebody is positive for COVID-19 and he goes and having a car accident or he falls from the tree or falls into the swimming pool and die. If he had a positive, he should not be labeled. He had been labeled actually for dying because of COVID-19, which is not fair. So that's why. So they have admitted their mistake, and they should and they should have rectified long term before coming to this point where the, the entire world is confused and they and the number has been prompted and uh, the false figures have been shown uh, and they have not given us figures for how many pe- people have died because of the cancer, because of the road traffic accident, because of the heart attack, because of the diabetes, because of the hypertension, because of flu, 
You see, in America, 647,457 people died because of heart attack. In uh, that's 25 percent of the population of uh, every year that die because of the heart attack. And the second comes at the cancer. The people die. There are over more than half a million people die every year for the cancer. And then they do, uh, and uh, more than nearly 200,000 people die because of the the uh, the injuries and the pneumonia and the respiratory infection and the flu-like symptoms, like 60,000, uh, you know, it, well, how come they only talk about the COVID-19? That oh, they, I know, I know. It. COVID-19, we're not treating anything else so far. I know. I, well, it's even worse than that because in America, they murder more than 3,000 Americans every day in the womb before they even draw their first breath outside the womb. It's worse than that. These are the same people that sanction the murder of children in the womb who say they care about you so much that they need to have you locked up, put a mask on, all this other stuff. I've got another question here. Would you say, because you, you talk with other doctors and stuff, you talk with other nurses, would you say it is overwhelming that as common knowledge... Uh, about the evidence that you know, or would you say those people are largely like what Dr. Kaufman said? They're indoctrinated to look at a thing a certain way. The germ theory is sort of their thing, and they're just going to go with whatever they're told. Or would you say there's a large percentage of doctors and nurses who have seen the evidence like you have, and maybe they're scared to speak out about it, but they might agree with you? Would you say that's overwhelming or not overwhelming? Doctors and health professionals, they agree. I'm, I, I must admire the courage and the, uh, the fairness of the uh, doctors from the United States and the rest of the world. They are speaking out and they are telling the truth to the public without any having personal interest, without uh, politicizing it, or not going to gain anything. Like I, I have lost my license to practice because of that reason, because I'm talking uh, the, the truth for one year. They have suspended it because what I'm talking is that's what I believe at my personal point of view, and I, I'm not. Uh, Maybe right or wrong, but this is my personal point of view, which obviously matters in terms of the innovation uh, and in, in terms of the the uh, peer review and all sort of things. Uh, we would have appreciated we have a round table discussion about uh, what's going on in the world and uh, come to the conclusion, which has not been carried out. And uh, the doctor, uh, it is the responsibility of the health professional to, to treat the patient. We are not working for the organization. We are working with the organization, but we are treating the patient. We are working for the patient. And this is our humble duty to treat the humanity. That's what we have been doing. This, uh, this is our profession. And I will, I will strongly uh, request to all the health professionals to, to look into it seriously. And uh, I know they, they, are, they have been silenced. They have been threatened like myself. And they, they, they don't want to talk because they have, they're worried about their, 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 uh, their jobs and employment and their family and their well-being, obviously, that, that comes in consideration. So they, they, they feel about all what's going on. And majority of, of the health professionals are coming out in different parts of the world. They want to speak out. The more and more strength is building up. But they're trying to discourage somebody who talks about this. And instead of looking into that, we could be right or wrong, but there should have a, a, a fair debate on, based on the scientific evidence. We're not... Common people, the health professionals have studied, they've spent years and years, about 40 years of me, uh, five years in medical school and 35 years working as a, in, in, in medicine as a, as a uh, doctor. I know what we're talking about. We're talking about the herd immunity, we're talking about vaccination, we're talking about the mask, we're talking about social distancing, we're talking about the, the Cox uh, postulate, we're talking about the uh, 
the reverse criteria. That's why we need to have clear evidence. And what is indication for vaccination? As I said, vaccination has been used in, in, in some uh, diseases as a prophylaxis, not as a treatment. And there's a lot of complication related with the, with the vaccination, related, like uh, 20,000 people uh, died in, uh, due to Ebola virus. And thousands uh, thousands of girls were in uh, the, uh, they had infertility and they died in India and, and similarly uh, with HIV and uh, the H1N1 vaccination uh, you know the viral infection and there was no vaccination like in, in uh, MERS and the SARS how can it going to be with, with SARS too that has to be looked seriously. Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to hold up your time. I appreciate it very much. I know it's very valuable to you. It's valuable to us. And we appreciate you taking time for us to come on and explain these things. Is there something that you would encourage people in the days ahead to do um, to protect themselves? I had friends who said, you know, we've got the symptoms of what they're saying, all these symptoms we have, which are in large measure, there are a lot of general symptoms. I mean, they could be anything. Uh, but we've yeah. had this, and they got they got really sick, and they were and they live in New York, and they were scared to death to go to the hospital because if you go to the hospital in New York, they're going to stick you on the vent so they can get tens of thousands more dollars, and we know the people who've been stuck on those ventilators, it's almost like they they did something that was the exact opposite of what they should have done, and they died. What would be something that you would, um, as a doctor, that maybe you would uh, pose to people out that they can do to look after their health besides? Uh, well, I mean, I guess eating right would be a good thing, uh, but some some other things. What would be some things that you would you would encourage people to do? Look out for their health. I encourage people that I do encourage my children uh, that they they do regular exercise. We do we do spend a couple of hours for good walk, good cycling, good running, swimming. Any sort of exercise is good for for their well being, which is obviously it increases the immune, the immunity in our body and and our. Uh, response to the microorganisms which are always there, the millions of microorganisms in the air and millions we have in our virus, including the coronavirus, not the novel coronavirus, which is nobody tells us so far, not a single scientist, whether it's a natural or it's a biological a, a hybrid sort of virus produced by how, we, we don't know that. Nobody has shed a light, but there are various theories, various, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, supposition about, you know, what we learned from the uh, different uh, resources but my advice would be to have a healthy life keep away from all the worries the the business economy jobs and education should be resumed and uh, obviously we we keep an open mind regarding uh, people who are elderly or who are not well they they obviously need looking after more and uh, they need, uh, if, if needed, they can be isolated, as we used to do in previously in flu and chest infection. Uh, we need to rest, we need to isolate so that we don't become source of infection for the others. So that's my advice, to, uh, to take it easy and uh, uh, relax and uh, resume your, uh, don't fear. You know, fear actually reduces the immunity and uh, releases a lot of the, uh, the cortisol and and the other uh, body response, which can be catastrophic to, to our own body. And a lot of people dying because of fear, lockdown, and uh, because of uh, the uh, danger which has been created by the mainstream media or the public, not not because of the COVID-19. And if we look at the mortality of the COVID-19, which 
many epidemiologists has come out with the conclusion that it is not more than 0.25 to one uh, percent. So it is actually it is from 0.03 to 0.25 percent up to 45 years of age. Uh, Dr. John uh, Initis, he he actually given these figures and he said from 45 to 70 it's only one percent. Uh, infectivity and after 80 years and somebody having the diabetes, hypertension, cancer, other uh, comorbidity, obviously the risk increases to 25 percent. So they, they, they are the vulnerable group which need to be, be taken care of. In children there is no evidence, not a single child has been infected with this uh, ongoing COVID-19. Okay. So all right. No, I appreciate I appreciate your time. I appreciate your words, the things you had to say as well. And uh, boy, I you know I'm hoping that more and more people stand up, take those face masks off, people. They're not helping you either. And I appreciate you bringing out the issue of f- the fear, the fear. How that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. So face masks are actually dangerous because we we rebreathe our own uh, breathing, and the same mask has been used many times. Uh, you know, for weeks and weeks. And then that that is actually full of. If somebody checked that face mask under the microscope, they will realize that how many uh, millions of microorganisms are already entangled, and they are source of uh, inhaling back into the our respiratory system and going into the blood. Yeah, take those so off. Take those off. Uh, get some good, a lot of good oxygen. We already get less oxygen as it is, uh, but get some good oxygen, and then um, you know, take your stand, folks. You're going to have to do it. Or they're just going to keep pushing it on you, and all of that's bad for yeah, bad yeah. for your health. Good oxygen, good exercise, and add some vitamin uh, C and D into the diet. And also, you can take a sun bath. You know, sun bath obviously generates a lot of vitamin D into it. Zinc has been uh, used for uh, has been proved to be helpful. And uh, similarly, the uh, the it's it's not just a viral infection, which obviously the various evidence we got from Italy and different parts of the world that this is not a just a viral, but there is actually the element of bacterial infection on top of that. That's why the, the erythromycin uh, has been used for, uh, has been very helpful actually, and uh, thousands and thousands of people have been discharged from the hospital after giving antibiotics and they recovered very well. Okay. So we should treat uh, the patient symptomatically, not just viral disease. Are, Sure. Uh, I, I know there is a antiviral drug has been used in different part of the world, but still we're not too sure about what we're doing. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. A, a lot of people are still doing things. You're bringing it to the forefront. Kate's doing it as well. Uh, we've got Dr. Kaufman doing it. I'm, I'm sure there are other doctors that we haven't even dealt with um, who are doing the same thing, and they're showing this. We've got Dale Bigtree from the High Wire. He's been bringing on doctors and nurses as well uh, to show people what's going on with this. And I, yeah. I'm with you. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a scam that's going on to scam the people about this. And I just want to close with this. You know, the Bible. I reference this over and over and over because at the Sons of Liberty, our foundations are the Bible and the Constitution. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 91 that we're not to fear. You talked about fear lowers our immune uh, system to, to fight off things. I respect, I respect your holy book, and I, I am Muslim, but I respect all the holy books and what the guidance have been given. We all respect each other, religion and books and holy prophets. Yeah, and that's, and, a, that's a natural thing. If anything we do against nature, that's not going to be viable. 
Yeah, and, and Psalm 91 says that we hide ourselves in the shadow of the Most High, and He protects us even from the perilous pestilence. So, the, yeah. you know, but the, but the, but the promise is if, if we hide ourselves in him. And so this is what I tell people all the time. There is hope. We, we don't give a doom and gloom message. Our message is always one of hope. And it's, yeah. it's a hope in our creator. We be obedient unto him. And uh, then he fights our battles for us as it will. Dr. Dill, thank you for your time today. You guys, we appreciate you in the chat room. Thank you for your questions, uh, your comments. All of you guys are great. We really appreciate you guys very much. And uh, 23 Hours, we'll be back with you. It'll be Rotten to the Core Wednesday. Lynn Taylor, a Common Core Diva, will be on with us. Till then, see ya.